not for me, I ask, but my children's souls to keep. It seems the world is going crazy, and though I need to do my share, could you please take them underway? Watch over them specially, keeping them safe from everything. This is a mother's prayer. I know you're listening in the silence of this The news is blistering. But I hold on to your light And though there's darkness all around us By my faith, know you're there Give me the strength to lead the way Send me the words I need to say Use me to guide them day is a mother's Thank you, Angela. Beautiful job. And I tell you, I'm just so proud of where our worship ministry is and how far they have come and all the work that they all put into that. And I mean, it's our music. I think it's pretty good. I, I certainly enjoyed it. Do you enjoy that this morning? Let's give them a hand. There's a lot of work, a lot of planning, a lot of sacrifice that goes into that. And uh, so I th thought they did a very beautiful, wonderful job today. You see, our arrangement's a little bit different today. We're always trying to tweak it and make it a little bit better, and I uh, appreciate the guys putting in the risers today and the choir being able to get up on those. It kind of just helps a little bit with sound, and, and uh, so it kind of, 
Uh, it, it just really thrills me as a pastor when you see everybody, as we share an idea, we share a new thought, we share a direction, and people just jump in and help make that happen. And uh, that's, to me, that's special. And I just want to say thank you uh, for that. Also, Jose and Cynthia, thank you very much for the pictures that you are taking this morning. We tried to delay service a little bit in our start time to give families an opportunity. If you have not had your family portrait made today, I want to encourage you immediately after service, just go out to the front of the building, there by the roses, out in the grass. Jose and Cynthia will be there immediately after service to finish taking those pictures and of those families that did not get their portraits made. Now, you are going to be receiving a free 8 by 10 uh, and that's not going to cost you anything. If you want to order additional copies of, of the 8 by 10 I think they're 2 bucks a piece. Uh, so just sign up out there with Cynthia, and, and uh, we can get that taken care of and get those in for you. By the way, who all, is everyone receiving our emails? Is everyone receiving those? Okay, if you are not receiving some emails pretty much on a weekly basis, and maybe even several times through the week, then that means that either one... We do not have your email address, or two, we have it and it's wrong, okay? So if you're not receiving those, be sure to fill out on your connection card uh, your new email address or, or write your email address on there. Let us know you're not getting that because that is in the setup where we are, where we only have one worship service a Sunday or a week, and that's just Sunday morning. The only chance that we get to make announcements to you face-to-face is right here. Well, a lot of times there's other things that take place. We need to get word out to you. And the best way for us to do that is through email. So be sure that you are receiving emails from us. Also, are there any, um, are there any folks that Twitter here in the congregation? Yeah, there's some. I know there's a few. Also, you can follow Victory Church on Twitter. Sign up for that. And we're putting out all the information. We're putting out prayer lists, other things that you may want to know. Uh, you can follow all of that through Twitter. And that's kind of just another cool way of communicating and letting you know what's, what's taking place. And uh, you can follow us that way as well. So sign up for that, if you will, also, please. Okay? Turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter number 1. 1 Samuel chapter number number 1. It's good to see all of you here this morning, and glad you're, you're here today, and, and just hope and pray that you're, you're blessed as a result of being here. I want to encourage you to take out your, your sermon notes. They're on the back of your bulletin this morning, and follow along with us. I had Brother Paul come and share the Proverbs 31 passage. I mean, to me, that passage of Scripture from verse 10 all the way through the end of that chapter, there's probably not another passage of Scripture um, that communicates the job, the role of a godly mother than that particular passage. And I just felt it very appropriate on Mother's Day uh, to be able to read that passage of Scripture. Although, I'm not going to be preaching from that passage of Scripture. I'm going to be in 1 Samuel, and I'm going to talk about another lady in the Bible named Hannah, that was a very, very godly mother. And I want to try to share with you today some defining traits of a woman of faith. If you're going to be a woman of faith, if you're going to be a godly woman, then I think a perfect role model in the Word of God that we can go to and look at and pattern our life after as a mother would be Hannah. And there's some wonderful traits we see in her life. And I just want to try to unpack those briefly with you this morning. There's really a whole sermon that can be said on each of these five different uh, traits that I'm going to share with you today. Uh, there's an entire series that can be preached on each one of those. But I'm just going to touch the surface. And I'm just going to skim on the top and share with you a few of these defining traits of this godly woman in the Bible called, named Hannah. And some that we can apply and you can apply to your life. By the way... 
it is Mother's Day, and I am going to be looking at the life of Hannah, and I am going to be sharing some defining traits that we discover in her life. But in all reality, this applies and it's just as applicable to the men in the congregation as it is to the women. Because these are biblical, godly truths and principles that you see in Hannah's life. Just it, It's kind of built around her as a mother and her wanting to have a child called named Samuel that she named Samuel. Okay, So it's going to apply to all of us. Okay, So men, don't check out on this message. Okay, You stay engaged. Uh, there'll be something that you'll be able to get in this message as well. But it's primarily directed to our mothers today as you start looking for a godly role model. By the way, we all need some, some heroes, don't we? Hello? I mean, we all need some heroes. And, and it's been said, it's not original thought with me, but it's been said, it's best if your hero is dead. It really is. I mean, if you're going to pattern your life after someone, you want to pattern your life after someone that finishes well. A lot of times we have idols in this world of men and women that we look up to. And I guess that's okay to look at their life from now to where they are, from, from, from where they started and began to where they are now. But you got to be careful that they finish well. I mean, I don't want to fall off the track somewhere along the line. Do you? I mean, I just don't want to make shipwreck of my life. And so I try to find heroes in my life that are dead. And I can look at the beginning, I can look at the middle, I can look at the end, and I can see what their life has been, and I can say, that's how I want to pattern my life, because that's how I want to finish. Well, Hannah's one of those that you can certainly look at and have as a hero in your life. So before we go any farther, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and, and just ask the Lord to speak to our hearts today and invite Him into our presence. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. Lord, we thank you for our mothers. We ask you to bless them. But we pray right now as we look into your word that you would open up our hearts and our mind. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that your word is spiritually discerned. In other words, without the Holy Spirit of God illuminating these passages of Scripture... And interpreting that within our hearts, there's no way that we can rightly understand what it is you're trying to teach us. Many people try without having the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. But God, there's no way we can know if you do not do your work in the Scripture and in our hearts and in our lives. Right now, this moment, I invite you into our presence. And God, I know in a congregation this size, there's many different needs that families, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children are all facing and going through. And God, I can't meet those needs. But Lord, you can. And I'm just going to try to point them to you. And I just pray that you would meet the need in their life. Whatever it is this morning, I pray you'd speak to us. Take the words that I'm going to say and apply them to every heart and every individual that's listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we jump into these defining truths that we see in a woman of faith, I want you to turn back in your Bibles, if you will, please, to the book of Judges. Matter of fact, just turn a few pages back. The very last verse of the very last chapter of the book of Judges. I want you to look what it says. The book of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. Now I'm reading now the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and it says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. 
Everyone did whatever he wanted. I believe the King James says something that everyone did what was right in the sight of his own eyes. Something to that effect. The point is there was no king in Israel Israel at that day. And they just did whatever they wanted to do. And they really had no guidelines. They had no one of authority over them. They had no judge, no king at this particular time. They just did whatever they wanted to do. Now, here's the interesting thing. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth does not come after the book of Judges. In our English Bible, the book of Ruth comes after the book of Judges, and then we have 1 Samuel. But in the Hebrew Bible, 1 Samuel comes immediately after the book of Judges. Do you see the contrast? You see where I'm going with this? The very last verse of the book of Judges said that they had no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in the sight of their own eyes. Every person just did whatever he wanted. There was no right. There was no wrong. There were no morals. There were no standards. There were no convictions. Just if it felt good to you and you wanted to do it, do it. Who is anybody to say that that's wrong or that's right? Whoa. Did that not sound a little bit like the 21st century? Did that not sound a little bit like the day that we live in today? That's kind of how it was in that day. No one can tell you what's right or wrong. They did whatever they wanted. And I think it pretty ironic. In the Hebrew Bible, immediately after that statement, boom, we're introduced to Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse number 1 says, there was a man, and his name was Elkaniah. And you're going down through here, in verse number 3, this man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shalom, where Eli's two sons were, Hophni and Phinehas, were, were the Lord's priest. And whenever Elkaniah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and each of her sons and daughters, but he gave a double portion to Hannah. And I'm going to stop right there. Here we see in the book of Judges, they had no king. They did what was right in the sight of their own eyes. Whatever they wanted to do, they did. And then immediately we find 1 Samuel. The point is this. When the world is its darkest and it looks bleak and dim and hopeless, God is still at work. You see, what Israel needed was not another king. What Israel needed was not another judge. What Israel needed was a prophet. Hello? What Israel needed was not policy. What Israel needed was not politics. What Israel needed was not another consensus to judge everyone and say, you tell me what you think is right. What Israel needed was the voice of Almighty God. And in that day... He spoke primarily through his prophets. So he's raising up a prophet. Now, in order to raise up this man, that's going to be a tool in the hands of God. He works through a godly family. He works through this family that we find Hannah in. Now I want to share with you five truths or five traits that make up a woman of faith. Number one, jot this one down if you will, please. This one may shock you a little bit, but women of faith exhibit real 
problems. They have real problems. A lot of times we make the mistake of looking in the Bible, looking in the Word of God, and we see a hero. We see a very famous person. We look at someone like Hannah. We look at someone like the Apostle Paul. We look at these great men and women in the Bible and we esteem them so greatly. And a lot of times we think, boy, their life is just perfect. I could never be that person. I could never be that woman. I could never be that man. I could never be that individual because my life is a mess. I mean, just look at my life. Look at the problems that I have. But may I remind you that in the Word of God, these are real men and women with real problems that find the answer to those problems through prayer and faith in God. Hannah had a problem. The problem was she was barren. Now in the biblical days, the primary role of the woman was just to produce kids. That's kind of your role. Raise us up some kids. Basically primary rule number one. I know the women's lib movement don't like that. Well, I've got a brain. I understand all that. I'm just saying in the biblical role of a woman, you were looked down upon if you were barren. You were judged. You were ridiculed by your peers. They were scorned. They were looked down upon and made fun of. Hannah felt very bad because she could not have any children. And the problem that she exhibited was that I'm barren. And because she was barren, she had this real problem that she had to face. She had to look out to her peers every single day and watch them raise their children. And she felt so bad on the inside because she was not fulfilling what was in that particular day her primary purpose in even existing and living. Therefore, she was a social outcast, so to speak. I mean, she had a real problem. That's the point I'm trying to make. Mothers, men, all of us that try to be women and men of faith, you're going to have some problems. I mean, just because you give your life to Christ and just because you become a Christian Christian, and just because you get involved in church and just because you get involved in a ministry doesn't mean that you're no longer going to have any problems. You're going to have problems. Hannah, this great woman of faith, was a woman that had a problem. Second thing I want you to see, second defining trait of a woman of faith, is that women of faith express vibrant prayers. And we see this in verse number 9 down through verse number 18. Now, I'm not going to have time to simply go and, and read all of this passage of Scripture. I encourage you to do that. That's one of the reasons I put the scripture references in your notes so you could go and study that out a little bit more in full. But here we see where Hannah is going to the Lord in prayer. She took her problem that she had and she expressed her faith in prayer. Moms, dads, individuals that are here, Are you taking your problems to the Lord in prayer? Or are you trying to handle them yourself? You're going to get through it yourself. You'll figure out a way. After all, I'm an intelligent person, you may say. I've got a college degree, you may say. I can handle this. I take care of 
problems in the business world or at job or in the Air Force, I can handle this problem in my life. A real woman of faith, a real man of faith, a real person of God is going to take their problems to the Lord in prayer. And that's what we see Hannah doing. She goes to the Lord and she goes there and she's worshiping the Lord and she's pleading with God. Matter of fact, Eli comes in and he looks at Hannah. He thinks she's drunk. He thinks she's gone crazy. He tells her to get up and leave the temple and get away from the wine and the alcohol. She looks at him and she says, I've had no wine or beer. She said, I am not drunk. I am broken. What is my point right there? And what is it that the scripture is trying to teach us here? I believe it's this. That our problems that we have, you're going to have them. Quit trying to live life like you're going to have no problems. Now, I enjoy a week with no problems, don't you? I mean, isn't it kind of relaxing to go through a week and be able to get through that week and say, everything went great this week. What about a day? A day's pretty good. To be able to get through a day and, man, there's no problems. But honey, you ain't going to live there long. Hello? We all have problems. But what's the purpose of our problems? Could it be that God is trying to break us? Because you see, until our hearts are broken... They can never be put back together by Him. And therefore, we may never find our divine calling or primary purpose in even existing until, first of all, we experience some problems and are broken. Could it be that that's the reason that the psalmist penned these words? In Psalm 119 in verse 71, you need to jot this one down. Jot that reference down. Psalm 119, 71. Psalm 119, 71. Listen to what the psalmist said. He said, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. Wow. The psalmist said it was good for me to be afflicted. It was good for me to be broken. It was good for me to have these problems. Why? So we could learn his statutes. So we could learn who he is. So we could be broken and then put back together and filled up. Isn't it amazing how you go through your life? And what may be a devastating experience that you're having at the moment? What may be a tremendous trial that you're going through? What may be a problem that you're facing today? You get removed from that several months down the road and... Things are starting to work out and fences are being mended. Relationships are being restored and, and, and you're getting some direction for your life. And you turn around and you think, boy, if I hadn't have gone through that problem, if I hadn't have gone through that hard place, I might not be here today in the center of God's will where I need to be. I know that's certainly true in my life. I know that's true in my wife's life. You see, because we were high school sweethearts, we started dating in the 10th grade We took a little break the summer of the 10th and 11th grade. I'll let her define to you what took place, how that happened. We got back together when I saw her again in the 11th grade. 12th grade we dated. We dated one year after graduation. And then we got married. Now I was 19 years old. Debbie was 18 years old. 
Listen. Although I have loved the years I've had with my wife, it has nothing to do with her. So let me get out of the doghouse. I don't even want to go there, okay? But I wouldn't advise any 18 and 19-year-old kid today to get married. Hello? You see, I don't know. If God's in it, maybe it'll work out. It did for us. But here's the thing. I was young. I was married. I was working hard. I had three jobs. I'd get up in the morning. I always had two jobs, sometimes three jobs. I'd get up in the morning at 2.30 in the morning. I'd go to work at UPS. I'd load trucks. I had to start at 3.15 was my start time. I got off at 8.15. I worked from 3.15 to 8.15. And then I didn't come home whining because I'd been up too early and had to work four or five hours. I left that job and I went to work with Pete Powell. And Pete Powell was a builder. He built houses and did a tremendous amount of remodeling. At that particular time, we were putting on shingles and roofs, like, I mean, just all the time. So I left at 8 o'clock, and I went to work with Pete Powell. We put on shingles all day long until about 2 or 3 or 4 in the afternoon. And then I'd go home, and then I'd spend a little time with the wife, and then try to hit the bed about 9 o'clock or so. I mean, that was kind of my day. In the early years of our marriage, that's what it was. And by the way... None of those jobs were sitting behind a desk and pushing a pencil or typing on a computer. By the way, computers didn't even exist in that day. For us, for the public, I'm sure they were. Maybe in the government, but not for us. Hello? Didn't have cell phones. I remember when I got my first cell phone, though. I went to Radio Shack and I got that big old bag. You guys remember those things? That big bag, it had a big battery pack in it. Battery pack's about that big. And plug it in your car and, and then you pull off this big old phone. It had this huge cable on the end of it. I remember carrying that bag around and talking on that phone. Whoo, that's high cotton right now, you know. I'm, I'm on this cell phone. I don't know how I got there. We're working. We're trying to buy a house. We're living in apartments. We finally get into our first home. Things are starting to work out in the Cannon household. No kids yet. We had somewhat went into our marriage with an agreement that we need to grow up a little bit first. So we would wait about five years. And that would put us only at about 23 or so. Then we would try to have kids. So we met that mark. But then prior to that though, God was doing something in my life and in her life because... Here's what happened. I started all this working, started bringing in money, started getting a big house, had several acres of land, got into show horses, got a ski boat, joined the ski club, was traveling every weekend on the water lake, running the slalom course and building pyramids and doing stunts and driving our boats and riding our horses. I had Tennessee walking horses had a young yearling that I was showing in, in, in uh, horse shows all around western North Carolina. By the way, she was the state champion in North Carolina as a yearling. And I remember showing her around and leading her around and making her park out there for the judges. You know, life was good! But here's the problem. I was serving, my focus had changed, I was serving a material God. And I was worshiping at the altar of a material God. I did it every day when I went into work. Because I didn't go into work trying to get more so I could give more. I went, I went into work trying to get more so I could get more. Hello? And that's when 
at this particular time. I've gotten off the docks at UPS. I'm now a UPS truck driver, and I'm out on my route, and I get a phone call. No cell phones, no pagers, no nothing in this day where they get a hold of us. But at one of the restaurants where I frequented for my lunch break, which was a Christian mom-and-pop type restaurant, I would go in there, and I would talk with them. I would take my Bible. I'd read and I would try to, and actually that was afterwards. At that restaurant, though, is when I got a phone call. And they said, your wife has just been taken down to Duke Hospital Medical Center. She's got cancer. At that particular moment, I was broken. You see, because here has what, here's what John Cannon had done. John Cannon had a good job. John Cannon made good money. John Cannon put his wife in a nice home. John Cannon put his wife in a brand new Trans Am T-top that would absolutely scream. It would bark, second gear, automatic, just kick it and go. Beautiful car, turned heads everywhere you went. John Cannon had a brand new Ski Nautique competition ski boat, 351 Windsor inboard, absolutely fly and turn on a dime on the water. But the problem is John Cannon had done all that. John Cannon had horses. John Cannon had a beautiful yard and acreage that the horses could be in. John Cannon had all this stuff. But the problem was it was John Cannon doing all this stuff. And God says, that's not my plan for your life. And he broke us. You see, I had provided all of that, but one thing I could not provide was health for my wife. And that's when I called the deacons of our church. And I rushed back to the terminal, turned in my UPS truck, and I called the deacons of our church and I said, Guys, listen, my wife has just been rushed down to Duke Medical Center. We've got to get together and pray. They said, That's right, John, come on over. I said, We're going to pray for her right now. We'll have a prayer meeting. I said, Guys, no, you don't understand. Yes, I want you to pray for my wife, but I want you to pray for me so that I could get to the place in my life where I can pray for my wife. You see, God broke us. And he broke us to get us a place so that we could be used for him and for his glory and for his honor. The point I'm trying to make is this. You're going to have problems. And a lot of times those problems, as the psalmist said in 119.71, it was good for me to be afflicted so I could learn your statutes. A lot of times those problems are nothing but God trying to break you down to get you to look up. And it could be that that's what was taking place in Hannah's life. As she expressed these vibrant prayers to the Lord. Third defining trait we see in her is that women of faith experience God's provision. Now, I'm not going to have time to unpack this one because I paused too long with the problems and the prayers. But here we see that she experienced God's provision. God heard and answered her prayer in verses 19 down through verse number 20. Now let me say this. Just because God heard and answered Hannah's prayer for a child does not necessarily mean that God's going to hear and answer all of your prayers, especially if there's some that are struggling with childbirth. But it does mean God has a plan, God has a purpose. And his plan was to raise up a prophet. Not necessarily even to answer Hannah's prayer, his plan was, because of the circumstances of the day, to raise up a prophet, and he chose to do that through Hannah. But here we see that you can experience God's provision. Now, whatever it is, I want you to know there's a God in heaven that knows who you are. He knows what you're going through. 
And he tells us this. It's a promise that we can bank on. He says, I will supply all, all of what? Your needs according to the riches of my glory. You see, God's going to provide for you. Whatever it is, God's going to provide. And we see where he provided for Hannah a son. Number four, let's go on to this one. Fourth defining trait of a woman of faith is they excel at keeping their promise. Now, this is a big one. I want to stop here just for a moment. In verses 21 down through verse number 28, Hannah's now got a child. And her husband, as he often did, was going back to worship. And he says, let's go worship. She says, no. She said, I'm going to keep the child behind until I wean him. And then I am going to take him and worship and give him to the Lord. Now, women of faith, they excel in keeping their promise. She had already, in her prayer, before she had ever conceived, she had already prayed, God, give me a son. I will give him back to you. That was the prayer. And real women of faith excel in keeping their promise because God, in his provision, gave her a son. And what did she do? After she weaned him, which was about two and a half to three years old in that culture, after she weaned him, she took him and left him there with Eli, the priest, to give him back to the Lord. The point I'm trying to make is she kept her promise. Now, here's the application for us. I wonder how many times we have a problem. And I wonder how many times we go to God in prayer And I wonder how many times we plead with God and our hearts are broken just like Hannah was. And and we're making promise after promise. God, if you'll just do this, I'll do that. God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. That's what Hannah was doing. God, give me a son. I'll give him back to you. But unfortunately, too many of us plead with God in that prayer time because we're broken and we need God to intervene and God to provide for you and he'll intervene. And then we'll get into the good times of life. We'll completely forget about the promises that we made God. We'll completely forget that we even need God. And I've seen too many people have difficulties and have problems. And the church and the church family come alongside them and pray with them and nurture them through that. And we see God move. Now things are good in their life. And you look around. Where are they now? Where are they now? Things are good. You see, sadly, too many of us use God like we use a spare tire in our trunk. You know, when we have a problem, we need that spare tire to work. Hello? But when all the wheels are good and all the tires are good and tread is good, we seldom even think about it. A lot of people use God that way. But real women of faith and even men of faith and people of faith, they excel in keeping their promise to the Lord. Here's one thing I want you to get I want you to get though. I want you to look at the last verse of 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to bring this thing down. I'm looking for Listen, I'm trying to land right now, okay? I'm looking for a place to land this thing and as soon as I can bring it to a conclusion, we're fixing to conclude here, okay? But I want to bring out something. Look in verse number 28. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse number 28. Or starting verse 27. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked for, I now give the boy to the Lord for as long as he lives he is given to the Lord 
I want you to pay attention to the very last sentence. Then he bowed and worshipped the Lord there. Now, did you get that? If you're not careful, you'll read over that and move right along, and it will not even sink in what just took place. Hannah just brought this boy to the Lord. She gave him back to the Lord. She left him there. She gave him. She kept her promise, left him there. And then what does it say? Then he bowed and worshipped the Lord there. Who is the he? Samuel. How old is Samuel? He's just a boy. He may be four, five years old at this time. But I want you to look what he's doing. What is he doing? Somebody tell me. Talk to me. Talk to me. What's he doing? He's worshiping the Lord. Just a boy. Question. Samuel. How do you know anything about worshiping the Lord at such a young age? Samuel, how do you know anything about that? Could it be that Hannah and her family took seriously the command that God gave every parent in Deuteronomy chapter number 6? to invest and teach that child when they wake up in the morning, when they go through the day, when they go through the evening, teach that child the ways of God? Could it be that Samuel, before he ever sat under the tutelage of Eli, he sat under godly counsel and advice and teaching from his mother? Therefore, at four or five years old, he knew how to worship God. Teenagers, don't ever think when you come to a worship service, and I'm talking to all you teenagers in here, don't ever think when you come into a worship service like this that this is the adult time. Let's go endure. Let's go sit through it. This is for you. Just as much as it's for mom as it's for dad, it's for you. If you're three years and older, according to the example we see with Samuel, you can certainly sit and worship the Lord. Hello? This young boy worshiped the Lord. But the only reason he was able to do that is because he had a family. And you'll see it all through the text of 1 Samuel. As, they, as their custom was, they went to worship. As their practice was, they went to worship. Moms, dads, I wonder... And I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, and I'm, I probably am. But i got to say it anyway. When it comes into the weekend, do your, parents, do your children, are they asking each other, or are they thinking, I wonder if mom and dad's going to church today. They should know. Mom and dad's going to church. They've been teaching me all week long. We've been praying together. They have shown me godly principles in my lifestyle. They've pointed out ways in my life that can help me to live for God and do what's right. Yeah, I know we're going to church on Sunday. Hello? Let me give you the last one, the last defining trait. Women of, of faith, and I love this one, explode with praise. And this is found in chapter 2, verse 1 and following. Hannah prayed. She said, 
my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Verse 2, there is no holy one like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And there's some songs that have been built off of that moment of praise and worship. This woman of faith, because she had the problems, because she took them to the Lord in prayer, because she kept her, her promise, and because God provided, now is praising and worshiping the Lord. You see, that should be the easiest thing we do. That should just flow from the overflow of a lifestyle of living for God, just being able to praise the Lord. And that's what we find her doing here in chapter 2, verse 1 and following. Are you praising the Lord? Well, it's difficult to praise the Lord if you're not living for the Lord. Let me give you a few closing thoughts, and I'm going to put these on the screen for you. Three thoughts in closing. Number one, for all the women that are here today, whether you have children or not, I want you to know that you are of great worth and value to God. Hello? Your worth and your value... It's not necessarily found in what you do and what you produce. It's found in who you are as a person. Hello? Second thing I want you to know as we close, mothers, I want to encourage you to make it your mission to give your children to the Lord for a lifetime of dedicated service. Give your children to the Lord for a lifetime of dedicated service. Pray for them. Give them over to God. I've often made the statement to my wife and even to my family, my mother-in-law and, and even my parents, I would rather my kids be in the center of God's will and live halfway around the world than for my kids to be out of God's will and live next door to me and then be involved in my life every single day. Because I realize that my son and my daughter, although I love them and I would lay down my life for them, they're not mine. They're God's. And my job is to raise them so I can turn them loose for him to use for his glory. Amen? And you know who really the most influential person in that child's life is? The mother of that child. Let me give you an example. In the Bible, Eli is mentioned. In the Bible, Eli's two sons are also mentioned. Eli's two sons were vile, wicked, horrible young men. But here's what I discovered this week, past week in my study time. Do you realize there's no reference in Scripture whatsoever to the mother of these two boys? Eli's mentioned, his boys are mentioned, but their mother is nowhere mentioned in Scripture. Now, I don't know the reason for that. I don't know. I don't know if she had died. I don't know if she just chose not to be involved in parenting these two boys. But these two boys have no mention of a mother in their life whatsoever in Scripture. And they were horrible guys. Samuel's life, his whole life that we know about starts with giving us the backdrop of this mother. There was a godly mother that influenced him and he turned out to be a great man of God. Closing thought number three is this. 
One of the lessons from the life of Hannah, one of the lessons from the life of Hannah is that each one of us, that we need to be growing in our own relationship with the Lord. Each one of us need to be growing. Hannah was growing. Samuel grew. Each one of us need to be growing in our relationship with the Lord. I wonder this morning, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, where are you? Are you growing in your relationship with the Lord? If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your personal Savior, then my prayer is for you today to enter into that relationship.